the poor say, I am rich because of what the Lord He has done for us. And now, oh, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done. Will for us give thanks. Oh, give thanks with the grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Holy One, give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. And now, oh, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. I should 
have fallen, my soul cast down, but your mercy rewrote my life. One more time. Yes, His mercy rewrote my life. God's mercy rewrote my life. and I should have fallen, oh my soul cast down, but your mercy rewrote my life. Amen. Aren't you welcome? Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Welcome <laughs> this morning. Amen. Uh, I want to welcome each and every one of you uh, to the service this morning. I am thankful for his mercy, though. Amen. It, without it, we would be completely lost. Amen. No hope. Uh, Sister Becky, if you can continue to play that, we're going to uh, open the service in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Brother John Harwell if he'll uh, come and open the service. Or a prayer. Um, we want to remember uh, the Cross family. Uh, they've got the new baby, but they're also homesick today. So we want to uh, remember them in prayer. Uh, the Florians are, uh, as you probably saw from the update, uh, have the virus. They're doing okay, but we want to uh, remember them in prayer. Uh, Brother Keith Buchanan is working traveling, so we want to remember him in prayer. We want to remember our sister Amber McCall, who couldn't make it this morning. Um, John Anthony and sister Hannah Harwell are away. Uh, um, Brother Joe Drum, we want to continue to remember our brother Joe in prayer. Uh, We want to remember the Whitlocks, who weren't able to make it. Uh, Sister Rachel Coffey um, is not feeling well as well this morning. We want to remember... uh, especially our sister Sierra Johnson, who's here. God bless her. And uh, who's ready for this baby to come. I think her and Brother Joshua, everybody's ready for it to come. So we want to remember uh, her in prayer and their family in prayer. Amen. If you have an unspoken prayer request, if you want to make it known by an uplifted hand, Brother John. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful day today that you've made for us to come and be with you. Lord, we, we know what's going outside in the world, and we just we thank you that you're there for us to lean on, Lord, to guide us, protect us, Lord. Lord, we ask you to touch all these needs today. Lord, be with them as, as they travel, as they, as they heal, Lord. We just ask you to be with them. Lord, we pray for our service today, Lord, for our pastor, Lord. We just ask you to bless us. We just hope our gathering today, Lord, is just pleasing to you. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Brother John. Amen. Um, before we uh, sit down, um, I want to sing that song, It Is Well With My Soul. I, I love that song. And, uh, you know, sometimes all of us, I think, can relate that we go through tough times. 
we have stresses in our life, amen, there's things that are going on, the world as a whole seems very chaotic right now, but I'm thankful, amen, that no matter what our personal situation that we're going through, we know in our soul it is well, amen, amen. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Oh. 
great is our goal. Oh, the shout of the angel. Oh, the voice of the Lord. Blessed hope will blessed rest of my soul for it is well oh with my soul will it is well it is well Becky, if you can keep playing that, I uh, want to go back to the third verse. I really like these old songs because it's amazing when you read what the authors wrote and how deep the words actually are. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not just a bit of it, but the whole, amen is nailed to that cross. He had us on his mind, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Amen. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glory, a thought. Will my sin not impart, but time it is well oh it is well yes with my soul well it is well it is well with my You can shake hands with those that are around you. I'm thankful it is well with my soul. Amen. No matter what my spirit is saying, what my conscience is saying, amen, I know in my soul it is well. I appreciate you singing that with me. I really enjoyed that this morning. Um. I'm going to change, change it a little bit. 
Let's sing All Fly Away. I'm happy to get out of here, amen? This old pest house, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, getting out of here someday. Well, some glad morning when this life is over, I'll, I'll fly away. God's celestial shore, I'll fly away, oh, I'll fly away, oh, glory, I'll fly away, I'll not die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. This life has grown I'll, I'll fly away To the prison bars that's flown I'll fly away Oh, I'll fly away Oh, glory I'll fly away Hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Now just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. Like a land where joy shall never end, I'll fly away. By and by, I fly away. Amen. Do you know that He set me free? Does He set me free? Do we? Do we know it? Do we? Have... No. He set me free. Yes, He set me free. The bonds of prison for me. I'm like Jesus to see. Glory to God, He set me free. I guess we do know it. That's what we're just saying, isn't it? He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory now, my Jesus to see. Mitch, you can relate to this. And so can Brother Jaron. Sometimes your your mind gets a little uh, blank. Let's stand. We're going to ask the ushers to come. This is a good time to change the order of the service. 
I might end up singing that song one more time. As the ushers are coming, um, just a reminder, we have service this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Thank you for your grace. (laughs) Amen. Brother Mike, if you could ask the blessing. saw Emma put those words up, I was like, no, 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 that's not the right song. (laughs) But it was. Um, Let's sing This Is Your House as we get ready for Brother Barry to come. This is your house. Father, come and dwell. This is your house, a holy house of prayer, where the lost and the lonely, oh, bring their burdens and their cares, this is your house. Well, this is your house, Lord, come and dwell. We are your house, yes, we are your house. Father, come and dwell. opportunity we have. And Lord, may we never ever consider it a common thing for us to gather in your house with your people. Lord, the very first thing we want to do today in this part of the service is to acknowledge your presence and to invite you, Lord, to minister the word as only you can. I pray today that you would commune with the people as you have communed with me. And Lord, deal with their hearts and help us, Lord, I pray, to be challenged by your word, not only to hear it and to understand it, Lord, but to be doers of your word. I commit the people now and their needs into your hands, Lord, especially those who are sick and those who are struggling. We commit them to you and ask that you would be gracious to each and every one, both those that are listening and those that are here today. We ask you, Lord, for you to breathe upon the word and make it live. And we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. While you're standing this morning, if you will, take your Bible and let's go to Galatians, the sixth chapter. 
May God bless you today. Good to have everybody here today in uh, his presence, and uh, good to have Julie and Sister Caroline here today, and uh, may God bless you. We've been praying for you, and uh, for each and every one, may God bless you. Good to have the Pascals here today, and uh, each and every one of you are special in God's eyes, and you're certainly special in our eyes. As you're turning there, you want to remember the saints in Alaska, if you don't mind. Brother, uh, I sent a little update out last night. The destruction was pretty extensive in that part of Alaska. Uh, they don't have many typhoons. And uh, it just literally sucked home straight up in the air uh, in the village, some of the villages last night. Brother Andrew Boy Scout lost a wall of his house and uh, a shed that he had, and lots of other people had the same thing. And he was trying to email or text me pictures uh, yesterday, and uh, the Internet has been so uh, degraded because of the storms up there, he couldn't get a picture to me. He could text words, but not pictures. So um, it would be nice to remember those, those folks. Galatians chapter 6, just one verse. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Our title this morning is The Bride's Attitude Toward the Outsider. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Everybody say, all men. Especially, say especially, unto them who are of the household of faith. May God add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. September 23rd is Sister Sydney Walter's birthday. She's not here today. Uh, we wish her a happy birthday. September 24th is Gabrielle Walter's birthday. Is she here today? And we wish her a happy birthday. September 25th, Ethan Pritchard's birthday. Right? That's next Sunday. Right? Is Ethan here? Yeah, there he is. God bless you. How, are you going to be 30? Is that right? Wow. That's old. And Rebecca Irish's birthday the same day. Rebecca's here. Rebecca, God bless you. Good to have you with us today, and may God give you a blessed day. This is next Sunday. So next Sunday, next Friday starts our men's meeting. And uh, September 25th, we will not have church here. Uh, we even discussed the possibility, uh, perhaps next year, moving the men's meeting one day. I don't know whether that would work or not but moving it one day so we can be back on Sunday. But this coming Sunday, uh, we will not have service here because many of the brothers will be uh, at the men's meeting. October 15th is the ladies' tea, uh, and then the harvest dinner is October 23rd. December 17th is our annual dinner, and uh, you might want to mark that on your calendar because there's some things you can miss in our church, but there's some things you can't, and that's one of them. Uh, Brother George Smith, uh, a number of years ago, did uh, a rewrite of the Seven Church Age book. He didn't change anything. He just reformatted it to make it a little easier to read. He recently has done the Church Age, or the Seals book. And uh, we have uh, the English version is almost uh, completed. But this is the Spanish version of that redesign of the Seals book. And it's just more nicely laid out in paragraphs and uh, numbering and so forth, and this is the version that we printed for the Spanish-speaking uh, members of the bride. So the, we have uh, about 50,000 of these that are coming out, and they'll be, uh, they're actually near the dock and ready to go. Uh, 
And then we have, following that, we have about a half million single sermons that are coming for South America. So that means everything from Mexico south uh, in single sermons, and that's going to be arriving roughly about the same time. So that's coming um, uh, very soon. But we appreciate Brother George doing that. When we do the English version, we'll make sure that we have some here for you uh, before... Uh, they're all sent away. Brother Kostya from Ukraine was supposed to be here uh, this Sunday. We had problems uh, locating a translator that would uh, work sufficiently. So Lord willing, we're going to have him on, on October 1st. So not next weekend, but the one after and have him uh, with us as we want to make sure we had uh, good, uh, good translation for him. Uh, in, in saying that, there's a lot of changes that are taking place in Ukraine. Uh, there's certainly a lot of struggle uh, on the part of believers there. There are believers who are going back into areas that have been reclaimed by Ukrainian forces. Unfortunately, when they go back, there's nothing there. There's only a shadow of their homes there. No infrastructure, roads, bridges, hospitals, schools, uh, anything at all, any kind of municipal government at all. Nothing is there. And so they're going back and kind of scratching through rubble in order to establish their homes again. And so it's been a real challenge. I will tell you that uh, Samaritan's Purse has again invited Sister April uh, to go back to Ukraine as a surgeon, and uh, she is one of their lead surgeons there, and um, she has agreed to go. And if you don't mind keeping that in prayer, because uh, anywhere in Ukraine today is uh, certainly risky for sure. But we want to remember her and uh, her placement in the country uh, in prayer, if you don't mind. Now, I want to, uh, a little while ago I dealt with this subject of uh, the bride's attitude towards mercy and forgiveness. And uh, this subject kind of stayed with me. And I wanted to deal with uh, this idea here on the, on the subject of mercy. And uh, I'm going to deal with two particular services today, two specific services that are more in the personal range rather than uh, the broad doctrinal range. And so they, they have this theme of mercy. And we find in Romans chapter 9 that Paul writes, he said, uh, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Now those attributes, I believe, are transferred, like all attributes of God are transferred into the bride. Because all God was, he poured into Christ, and all Christ was, he poured into the bride. It's a great thought, and it's a great reality. But the the truth is, is that... If the things that, that characterize God are now embedded in the church, then we had the responsibility to act in a way that reflects the character of God, not the character of ourselves. But more importantly, not the character of your ancestors. Because there's a lot of people who say, well, I am the way I am because that's the way my mother was, or that's the way my parents were, that's the way my, I heard my grandparents were. I believe that the attributes of Christ are stronger than the attributes of your grandparents. And so therefore, at some point, you had to reconcile the fact that if Christ is in you, and I believe most of you believe that that is true, then therefore we have a certain, uh, in, in a sense, we have a certain code of conduct. We have a certain way of acting uh, that we don't have a choice about. And there are, uh, there are a lot of important things that go with that. And I, I want to deal with that this morning here. 
Brother Branham in his uh, ministry, and I've, I've, I've studied Brother Branham's ministry for almost 40 years now, and in, in uh, studying and listening to him talk and uh, knowing uh, the testimonies of people around him, there was two consistent things about Brother Branham that I found very, very amazing. And number one was uh, that Brother Branham never uh, took advantage of the, uh, the, the authority and the power and the, uh, the reputation that he had gained. He never, he never came to the place where he said, wow, look at me. And, and look how great I am. I never find anywhere where Brother Bram comes close to that. He always maintained a very humble attitude. Amen. And then secondly, we find nowhere, and we don't find Brother Bram saying this, but we find lots of people saying this about him, that Brother Bram, to our knowledge, never held a grudge. Billy Paul said one time that one of the greatest attributes about Brother Bram was that you never knew who his enemies were. And that's an amazing thing, that you never knew who his enemies were. Uh, that's because his speech never gave it away. His attitude never gave it away. Therefore, he didn't shun people. Uh, he didn't overtly act negative towards people or indifferent towards people. He was always very gracious in the way that he dealt with people, even when he knew, he knew so many people were against him. Now, you may be sitting there this morning all dressed up nice, nodding your head and doing the thing that you're supposed to do in church, but I really don't know your heart like he could know your heart. And he could sit there and say they all agreed with me, but under the table they were shaking hands with one another and they were disagreeing with everything that I taught. Now, he could know that. I don't know that. And uh, ignorance, in this case, is certainly bliss. But let me give you a couple of statements here, just as a, as a preamble uh, as we get into this this morning. And really what I want to do is give you two examples of how we should deal with other people who are not considered or we don't consider to be the bride of Christ. So outsiders, we'll say. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. And I need you to be real sure you get this, that I'm not talking about somebody who's not a member of the bride or not a member of this church in any way negatively. I'm not. All right? I'm not, I'm not looking negatively on somebody who's not a part of the bride. Sorry, I, maybe I need to stand up here and say that. I don't look down on people who are not members of this church. I don't look down on people who are not members of the bride. I pray that every man would come to salvation. Every person I come in contact would have, uh, you know, an awareness of their need of God and reach out to the Savior. I, I mean, it is the heart of God that he uh, wanted everyone to be saved. Right? God doesn't enjoy sending someone to the regions of the lost. Neither should we. So Brother Branham says, the only way I'll ever get there is by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. The only way that we'll ever get there. I love him, but it'll take his grace to get me over on the other side. I'm not trusting in any ability. I have none. I'm trusting in what he did for me. He's my mediator. He's my propitiation. He is my, uh, for my sins. He is the water of separation. He's the alpha, the omega, my life, my birth, my father, my mother, my sister, my brother, my king, my savior, and my healer. He's just all in all to me. I love my, bro- my brethren. I love my sisters. But that filial love would never take the place of the agapal love of the Holy Spirit. How many feel that way this morning? And I'm happy, he said, that his grace extends even to me. 
Hey, if there's anybody who had a right to claim some sort of a position or authority, it would be Brother Branham. But he doesn't do it. He says, I'm happy tonight that his grace extends even to me. And by his grace, I one day came to him and he saved me from a life of sin. And he gave me the opportunity to preach the gospel to his people everywhere, calling them to a life of salvation out of a life of sin. Along with what he gave me, the great privilege of praying for his dear beloved sick children, And I'm happy for that opportunity to be here tonight to do that for you. That's a great attitude, isn't it? I mean, attitude is a really important and a very powerful thing. And we want to talk a little bit about that today. We want to embed that. I read a book one time. It was called Man's Search for Meaning years ago. It was written by Viktor Frankl. And the reason I read it was because Viktor Frankl spent three years in concentration camps in Nazi Germany. And uh, he was even in and out of Auschwitz for uh, several months. And he wrote a book after he came out. He became a very famous Jewish uh, writer and uh, person in Israel. And uh, his, his book is only a little short book uh, that he wrote, but it was very profound and very thoughtful. And uh, it really impacted me when I read it a number of years ago. I still have it. And, brother, and, and uh, Frankel wrote these words. He said, uh, We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts He said, comforting others. We remember those guys who came through, giving away their last pieces of bread, which were very valuable. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken away from a man but one thing. The last of human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstance and to choose one's way. That's the la- he said, that's the thing you can't take away from another human being. He said, is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Their circumstances were certainly less than ideal. But he said, there were people who chose to take their circumstance and somehow use it in order to bless other people. And I look at Brother Branham's ministry and the way he was. Uh, had a lot of reason to be, uh, in a sense, negative or bitter about things because there were so many people who were against him and who had turned against him over time and uh, left him for different reasons or even used him and his ministry and his popularity uh, to gain notoriety themselves. There was lots of people who did that. They built newsletters. They built ministries. They uh, earned lots of money uh, on Brother Branham's name. And Brother Branham was uh, a person who uh, never held that against him. He just maintained an attitude. At least, if he didn't, I can't find it. I'm not saying that Brother Branham was perfect. But I'm saying that he maintained a gracious attitude uh, towards God's grace and the opportunity he had to be able to help God's people. And uh, there was a lot of people who, uh, you know, received things in Brother Ram's meetings who never continued to follow on. They never believed the message of the hour like you do. Uh, they, they never embraced the truth that he preached, but they received their healing or they received uh, some sort of a blessing from that ministry. They were in the fallout, if you like. And Brother Branham never begrudged those people. He said, my goodness, if God did that for you, why don't you follow this? We, we don't find Brother Branham saying that. And his attitude was consistent here. And I think uh, it, it, teaches, it teaches us great things. Now, uh, Brother Branham, or sorry, the scripture also says in John chapter 1 that John bare witness of him, speaking of Christ, and cried, saying, this, is, this was he of whom I spoke that he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. This is John making the announcement about Christ. And he says, and of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, 
But this is different. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Thank God for being under grace and truth. The law was a very different experience. But for grace and truth, I'm thankful. Martin Luther made this statement one time. He said, Christ is no Moses, no exactor, no giver of laws, but a giver of grace, a savior. He is infinite in mercy and goodness, freely and bountifully given to us. It's a great way to say it, that he is a giver of grace. He is infinite in mercy. Aren't you glad he's infinite in mercy? And he's infinite in goodness, freely and bountifully giving to us. I think it is an incredible thing that we uh, maintain a right kind of an attitude. And I, I, don't know why, uh, I don't know why I'm going this way today, but I know that my path was, was made very clear through this week about where I'm going today. So this is for someone today. I don't know who, but I believe clearly and definitely this is for some one person. Uh, I believe that there's a lot of reasons why people come to church and, and uh, why you're here uh, today. There's a lot of uh, experiences that you all could share. Some of you came out of churches which were uh, good, but God felt to extract you from one and place you in another. There are churches you came out of where people uh, forsook the, the message or turned their back on the message of the hour and something in you would not uh, remain. Even though you had friendships there and relationships there and history there, uh, something, about, something about you and something within you drove you to find that tree of life again. And, and that's all a part of our experiences. Many of us have different reasons. But I will tell you this, that a lot of times people, they will... Uh, they will walk away disgruntled very often from a church, not necessarily because of the doctrines or the teachings of that church, but many times they'll walk away because of the people within that church. They'll walk away because of how they're treated. And we had to be very careful because when it comes to the people that follow the, uh, follow the pillar of fire and the people that uh, you know come out in the exodus like it was in the first exodus, it was a mixed multitude came out. It was certainly a mixed multitude that came out in the second exodus because there were Jews and Gentiles and Jews looked down on Gentiles and uh, Gentiles you know, were uh, certainly very different and there was a lot of people felt like they had no access or no right to the covenant and the covenant things of God. And there was a lot of... Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty in the second exodus because really now no one knew how to worship. We'd always worship one way for 4,000 years and all of a sudden everything has changed. Everything has changed. Everything has changed because of Christ. And so therefore, a lot of times you can become, you can actually stumble at the people who walk with you. And we had to be very disciplined and very careful that we look above that. We look above that crowd. And keep our eyes fixed on the thing that really matters, and that's Christ. You, uh, listen, it's an easy thing to say that, and it's an easy thing to amen that. But it's a different thing to actually practice that when you feel like you've been hurt or betrayed or criticized or whatever else. And sometimes you feel like, my goodness, why don't people get their act together? And if everybody got it right, you know what? I'd be happy. And that's not, I'm not necessarily limiting it to that. But there are things that people genuinely experience among believers that uh, are difficult. They're just, they're just flat out difficult to bear. And you have to come to the place, like I have, that we're not following this because of the people who are following this. We follow this because of Christ. And there comes a point where you've got to push back all of the stuff that's around us and just say, I am here because of Christ, and by God's grace I will remain because of Christ. 
Are we okay? Now, Brother Branham, in his ministry, always wanted us to be reminded of the fact that everything we have and everything we enjoy, everything we know, is because of God's grace. And because God has chosen to give it to us. And God has called us into the marvelous light we, we, uh, we see. And to have the understanding that we have. And have the revelation that we have. And have the fellowship that we have. It's not because we're better people than somebody else. It's because of God's grace and God's choosing. And that really should never be a common thing. Now, let me give you one little example here. And I, I love the way that Brother Brandon ministered to this particular lady in a prayer line. And this is 1954. He says, now we're total strangers, but Jesus knows you. And his grace has brought us here. We're all here because of his grace. And he's fed us and brought us to this time. And he gave you his grace to become a Christian, a believer. He's just catching this woman's spirit. She's in the prayer line, and he's just talking to her. And he gave you his grace to become a Christian, a believer. And then he gave me a gift to speak to you about him. And that's the only thing I can do. So I'm here by his grace, you're here by his grace, and I'm speaking to you by his grace and the operation of the Holy Spirit. And that's why all of this is happening, all right? So this is what Brother Branham... Now, this woman has come because of a problem, and she's got a real substantial problem. But he said, you know, the, 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 the grace of God is the thing that's brought us here now, and let's just let him do what he wants to do. Let's just not tell him what's going to happen, but let's just present our need before him. Then he begins to discern what's going on. He says, you're suffering an extremely nervous condition, very nervous, so much so that you got trembling and you want to drop things all the time. Apparently, nervous people drop things all the time. He says, but now Brother Branham also says that nervous people very often are spiritual people, so don't feel bad. He says, you've got a lot of fluid in your body, excess fluid. Say, he says, you've had an operation too some time ago, and that operation was the cause of that fluid, and they'd done the wrong thing. And that's why the fluid has gathered ever since. And now you believe that God is here to take that away from you? Now watch the approach that he takes here. I think this is really interesting. He said, dear God, if you're so present to know the human lives, human lives, how present are you, Lord? And now in behalf of my sister, I pray the prayer of intercession and ask you, Lord, to rebuke the doctor that did this surgery. No. He says, we want to rebuke the devil that's tormented this woman. And let her be made well in Jesus Christ's name. Because she has a medical condition. And, uh, you know, uh, the, this, this situation was unfortunate and the, the outcome of the operation and so forth. But the problem that she's dealing with, and the first thing he identifies, is how the devil has tormented her because of all of this. She's got uh, severe swelling and... Uh, you know, retention of the fluid and all the other things that are going on. And so she probably looks not so good. And here's Brother Branham now dealing with her, and he knows that the devil will get into any circumstance, any condition at all, and make this person feel so nervous that she's trembling and dropping things here in her life. And she's miserable. She's flat-out miserable. And he says, now, lady, I'll tell you what I want you to do. You know that you know that is leaving you. You know that's leaving you. And when you go home, I want you to take a string and put it around you and measure that string. Then tomorrow night, he said, before coming, measure yourself again and cut off the string, how much you shrunk between this and tomorrow night, and lay it here on the pulpit. Will you do that for me? 
Thank you, lady. He says, have faith in God. That's what he tells her to do. Well, I went on a hunt, and I found the next night's service. I want to show you an answer to prayer. Now, uh, you can go back. There's more to this. I'm just giving you the, the uh, highlights here. How many was here last night? I asked the woman who was swollen for some time with excess fluid in her body, told her that God had touched her some way, and she brought the string, and here it is. And she shrunk a little over one and a half inches overnight. He said, now that's about 18 hours. And here's the lady now, and he identifies her in the congregation. I'll keep going. He says, I'll keep going down just on. Sorry, it'll keep going down just on and on. He says, you get well now, and you say, looky there, one and a half inches in about 16 to 18 hours from the time she left here. And when she measured herself to come back, when Elijah saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand, he said, I hear the abundance of rain. He says, get ready. But you know what he starts out with is that this whole scenario, this whole, con- this whole meeting with God here in this ministry, he said, it's all by his grace. And he said, don't forget that, that, that God has brought you here as a believer. God has given you the grace to be a believer and even to trust in God's promise of healing. And he says, now you watch what God does. But a lot of times we will think, well, God's got to do something great and big and dramatic. Hey, sometimes it's just an inch and a half at a time. But watch out. Elijah saw that little cloud as the size of a man's hand. And after a little while, he said, hey, I heard the, hear the abundance of rain. It's coming. Just hang on. And you watch what God, don't limit what God will do. Or don't try to tell God what he needs to do. But rather maintain that humble attitude and realize that it's by grace that all of us have what we have, know what we know, experience what we experience. And you're better off not getting bitter about the things that you don't understand. They say that a rattlesnake, if you corner it, it will become so angry that it will bite itself. How stupid. A rattlesnake will become so angry if you corner it that it will actually bite itself. And a lot of times people think they become so angry that they think they're going to harm themselves. But rather, like a rattlesnake, the deeper hurt is what they do to themselves. Now, Brother Branham says this in Who Is This? And this is 1959. I read this to you, I think, when we did the first service on uh, our attitude towards mercy. Brother Branham said, now, he's Emmanuel, God with us, but not only with us, but he's in us and through us. And he said, "And, and if that's true, a supernatural God cannot change his nature to fit people's nature. God will never respond to your wrath and change his mind about other people. God will never do that. He said people has to change their nature to fit God's supernatural plan. It's God in the midst of his people, and God will never come to your level, but you'll have to come to his. God will not come to your requirements. You have to come to God's. But when that requirement has been met, your entire being changes, then your thinking changes. Your habits will change. And everything about you will change, and your desires change, your living changes, your habits change, you change. Everything about you changes because there's new life in you. My goodness, that's something worth noting. That's something that other people will note as well. Uh, When everything about you changes, that's a pretty dramatic thing. Now, Brother Branham says, now, I do have, uh, well, he says, I wouldn't want to call them opponents, but I have people who do not accept the message. That's a pretty gracious way of saying it. Brother Branham had opponents. He had lots of them. And why I can't think hard of why, he says, I I can't think hard of them. 
Jesus said the same thing in his day. Everybody else has. Now, if I understand the English language correctly, everybody means everybody. Jesus had the same thing in his day, what we would call opponents or people who disagree, people who uh, would take a contrary view. He says that everybody else has. And each time a message of God, the world has never received it. But that doesn't make one speck of bitterness That doesn't make one speck of bitterness towards that person or people or organization. We may disagree with the organization, but it doesn't mean that we have a right to become bitter. We might have a disagreement with a group of people or a church even or towards a person, but that doesn't give us a right to become bitter. He said, it's still just the same. That's one of the evidences that I know that I have passed from death unto life. No matter what the brethren do, I still love them. In my heart, I love them because it's a love that God has put in my heart for my brethren. Am I speaking to somebody today? I believe the Spirit of God is here today. Now... Brother Bram, in a lot of ways, and all I want to do today is uh, just be honest with you and, you know, looking and searching for uh, different things that he said in this manner, uh, how that he dealt with people, because opposition was a big part of what Brother Branham experienced in his earthly journey. Uh, he was called into a particular and unusual ministry. It was different than what anybody else was doing in his day, and that makes you stand out. And then, uh, you know, the, the way that he did things and the way that he did not comply with or walk with everybody else's method of doing things, when everything was moving towards television and everything's moving towards bigger crowds and all the rest of it, Brother Branham uh, determined in his own heart to stay simple so that he could move and he could uh, be flexible. So God could send him to a church of 50 or a tent of 5,000. It didn't matter. I remember one time that I was, uh, when I first started to preach, my first sermon uh, was in the log cabin church up in Cloverdale. And uh, with Brother Biscoll, and I was friends with Brother Roger Smith, and some of you old-timers will remember those names. And uh, I was uh, there one time, and they asked me to preach, and I gave my testimony. And, uh, you know, uh, I was very much uh, blessed in being up there at that particular point. I was single uh, back then. And uh, Brother uh, Biscoll and I and Brother Roger Smith and I had talked, and I was seriously considering moving there. I almost moved there. And no, there was not a girl there that I was interested in. But I was seriously thinking about moving there. And uh, I remember when I was leaving, going back to Newfoundland, uh, I didn't know anything about Virginia, never been to Virginia, didn't know anything about Hickory Bible Tabernacle. Uh, Matter of fact, this was in the 1980s, so Hickory Bible Tabernacle was just a thought in the mind of God. And... uh, when I was going to the airport, Brother Biscoll offered to take me to the airport, so he and I had about an hour and a half or so just to fellowship, and I, I asked him, like all young ministers would ask a senior minister, what he thought I should be doing. In your opinion, if you were me in my state of life, what, what would you be doing right now? What would you, you know, would I, should you travel? Should you go preach at different churches? Should you, you know, get a uh, you know, build yourself your own church, start your own congregation. I was looking for spiritual advice from an elder. 
And he told me something that I thought was extraordinary, and I still think was extraordinary. It blew me off my seat as we were traveling to the airport. And he said, if I were you, he said, I'd get out of debt. I said, really? He said, yes. Because he said, if you are encumbered with a bunch of things in this life, God's going to have more trouble moving you easily from one place to another. And he said, God wants to have a hold of your life. God wants to lead you and direct you. But he says, where he will take you, he said, it's not really up to you. It's up to him. And he says, if you anchor yourself down to things, even innocently, and not for bad reasons, but he said, it'll be harder for God to position you and move you in different places. Never forgot that advice. My goodness. And that's been... Uh, I've watched that happen with lots of other uh, people and young ministers as well. A lot of times we think, well, I'll work this out. I have an idea and I have, uh, you know, a a thought myself. But somebody who's called to minister, it's not a job, it's a calling. And so, therefore, uh, they need to be under God's control in a more complete way than even an individual does. And so it's important for them to be led by God. And it's, it's a really, really important thing. I've learned a lot from advice like that from elders. Now, therefore, we had to be careful because we have lots of experiences in life. We have lots of things that we come across, things that will happen to you that you never expected. There are things that happen to you between people that you never expected. And it's just God's way, uh, many times, of teaching us certain things that we never would read in a book and understand the same way. Right? There's some things you go through that are much more powerful than the lessons you learn from a book or from Googling something. Right? And so God allows those things to happen. But when we come through it, God wants you to retain something. God wants you to understand something. He says in church order, and this is a powerful statement, so follow it with me here if you don't mind. If you can't disagree with a man, then shake his hand and still have the same feelings towards him, then there's something wrong with you. Now, you know what? That's a, hard, that's a hard saying. But I'm only telling you what the tapes say because that's what my job is. If I can't disagree with a man bitterly from one side to the other and still think as much of him as Christ would, then there's something wrong with my spirit. I haven't the spirit of Christ. Say it again, Brother Tim. Lord, help us. Part of that process is the ability to let go, to forgive, like I said to you before. Forgiveness works on these three points. It hinges, everything hinges on these three points when it comes to forgiveness. God forgives our sins. We must forgive one another. And number one depends on number two. And there's no other way around it. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us. God forgives our sins. We must forgive one another. And number one depends on number two. Now, when Moses brought the law, there's an exceptional thing here that, uh, that I just want to point out. And it may seem unrelated here, but when Moses actually taught the law among the people, uh, he made this inclusion here, which God would have inspired him to say this, that our law, our way of living, applies to everybody who's within the country. One law shall be to him that is homeborn, in other words, a true Jew, and and the same law will apply unto the stranger that sojourns among you. 
So you're, we are not going to differentiate between who's one of us and who's not. We're not going to differentiate because you're in this church and someone else is in that church and we're going to have a different law or different way of looking at it. No, one law applies to all. Now, that was an extraordinary thing because in back in that day, if you were an Amorite and somebody who was not an Amorite strolled into the camp, uh, you know what? You could quite easily have your head handed to you pretty quickly. I remember being with Brother Zephaniah Peters in Tanzania. And uh, I was asking Brother Zephaniah about, uh, you know, some of the native peoples who were there, the primitive peoples who were there. And by God's grace, in December, we'll go uh, to meet the Maasai people and capture their story. We're going to do documentary there. And uh, it'll be really neat to, we're going to go among them for three days there, and it'll be really neat to do that. But Brother Zephaniah told me that one day he was sitting by a riverbank way in the south of the country in a primitive area, no roads, nothing at all. And he said, I, I came across this man, and uh, he said, this man had a darkness about him. He had a shadow about him, and he said it was very real. And the man told him, he said, what are you doing here? And Brother Zephaniah said, well, I'm a missionary. He said, I come here, uh, you know, preaching the gospel. I just came to visit some of the peoples in this area and uh, share what I know. And the man said, if I were you, he said, I'd leave, leave right away. And uh, Brother Zephaniah said, well, I'm not here. I don't mean any harm. I don't mean anything negative here. man said, if I were you, I'd leave. He said, because the people who live here, he said, are headhunters. And he said, in the pathways that you're walking on, they have coverings over these holes that are in there. And uh, he says, people fall into those holes. They'd be like eight feet deep with straight walls. And he says, you're not going to get out. And he says, when they find you in those holes, they'll take you out. And he says, you won't be able to go home then. And uh, they were headhunters. And uh, these are people who lived that way. And Brother Zephaniah said, it was the one time in my ministry and the one time in, the, in my life, he said, where I really felt a chill. I really felt afraid. And I said, let me ask you a foolish question. I said, would you bring me around the edge of that area some time ago? And he said, no. He said, because I know you. He said, you'd want to go meet the people and stuff. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be responsible for you losing your head. And uh, I said, okay, that's fine. But in those cultures, and I say that because in those parts of the world, they have one law for themselves and another law for everybody else. And even, even you can easily see when you think about this, even in, say, denominational ranks, very often there's a law for us and then, Another way of dealing with everybody out there. But when, when the law was pronounced by Moses and God handed it to him, he said, we're going to treat people like people. And even Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, especially those who are of the household of faith. So he says, we're going to be mindful of all people. And whatever opportunities we have, he says, therefore, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. We're not going to ask, uh, you know, if a person's in need, are you, uh, are you a believer? Have you ever heard of Brother Branham? Uh, no, I haven't. Well, good luck. Paul doesn't, he doesn't tell us to have that attitude. But now, when we come to a brother and a sister, we should especially pay attention as to what their particular need is. But he's not saying that we should shun everybody else because they're not a believer. Or act in an unchristlike way towards everybody else. Now, some of you are looking at me saying, my goodness, he has become a Presbyterian, and he does want to open a soup kitchen. Well, that's not true. But I think sometimes, and let me say this, and I don't mean this with an attitude because I'm preaching about attitude here today, 
But I, I want to say this, that I think sometimes within the ranks of what we call the message, we can get an attitude where, you know what, it only matters, it only matters if you are in agreement with me or you believe the message, and I really don't care about the rest of the world, it's all just cannon fodder and they're all going to die anyway. Uh, I don't believe that. I mean, that's up to God how it all comes out. But you know what? I'd rather have an attitude that in some way or another I could affect somebody, anybody, to escape what's coming if I could, to show a little love, to show a little mercy, to show a little grace to somebody if I could. And a lot of people don't want it, right? They don't want your interference. They don't want your Bible. They don't want standards, and they don't want you to say anything about their lifestyle. Well, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. But you know what? I'll try. If I can, I'll try. I'd, I'd, I'd rather be a good witness than no witness. Is that all right? Am I talking to anybody this morning? We can have an attitude whereby everybody else in the world doesn't matter. Well, you know what? I believe they do. And today I'd like to be able to show you that in the Scripture. Even people who don't believe like you, and even people who are in the wrong, God has an attitude towards them. Now, Brother Bram said about Spanish people, he said, he was in Puerto Rico here, I believe it was, and he said, you're humble, you're willing to eat just to take the crumbs, whatever. He says, you come in that attitude, and that's the reason you get healed. That's the reason you're healed, because you come humble. God's power is not stronger for different ethnicities. He said, it's the attitude that you come with that makes a difference. Does that make sense? Anyone who comes with a stiff-necked will never receive anything from God. You've got to see how low you can get, and then Christ will heal you, or he will save you. Uh, he will give you, give you the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you, I believe Naaman would have went home a leper if he didn't actually humble himself before God's word. I believe he would have. Now, um, Brother Branham, in the Church Age book, he makes this comment very quickly here. Now, he said, you're blind and naked, about Laodicea, this is really desperate. This is a pretty desperate situation. How can anyone be blind and naked and not know it? But the answer is they're spiritually blind and spiritually naked. And what they did not see brought on their captivity. What they did not see brought on their captivity. Jesus tried to teach them the truth. They wouldn't listen. Now, again, now, if you try to be a witness or you try to present truth, you extend compassion to somebody and they reject it. That's between them and God. But I, you, you, to me, you're better off being guilty uh, or erring on the side of compassion and mercy. To me, I'd rather face God saying what I tried. <clears throat> I'm not trying to be a kind old priest. You understand. But I reject the attitude among some people that say you all have to be like us. You all, we all have to be these Malachi four people over here and no one else matters in the world. I just don't think that's true. I have relatives and loved ones that are unsaved. I have people that, uh, you know, you come in contact with life and God mixes it up so that you do come in contact with life. And it could be a neighbor or a co-worker or a fellow student or whatever else, but God's put you in contact with them for a reason because there could easily be somebody else that you're in contact with. And I think our attitude makes a big, big difference. So... In the church age book, Brother Branham goes on and says, the attitude of this age is exactly what it was back then. People have it all, they know it all, they cannot be taught. Let me say it again. People have it all, they know it all, they cannot be taught. 
If a point of truth from the word comes up and a man tries to explain his view to one with the opposing view, the listener is not at all listening that he might learn, but is listening only to refute what's being said. Have you ever said something to somebody and you can tell, you can tell in their eyes, you can tell in their face, I'm just waiting for you to shut up because I got an argument and I'm not listening to anything you can say. I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting until you stop and then I know exactly what I'm going to say. So you might as well quit. When you come to that, you might as well quit. Talk about the weather or something else. Now, <clears throat> let me just divert for a moment here and uh, talk about two examples here, one that I've reminded you of before. So should we pray for or intercede, actually, on behalf of people we don't consider to be the bride? That's the question here. And the image here is smoke on the side because that's how prayers reach God. Now, <clears throat> in, in the message Blind Bartimaeus, Brother Branham said, and he used to think how he cherished the little Bible stories, and uh, she would tell him before he went off to sleep, and as she would finally pull him up in her bosom and rock him to sleep. And he's actually talking about blind Bartimaeus here. And blind Bartimaeus' mother would rock, rock him to sleep and tell him Bible stories like every good uh, Jewish mother would, and she'd finally pull him up to her bosom. And one of the stories that he used to like was the story of, I was referring to a while ago, about the little boy that Elijah raised from the dead. Now, I'm only telling you this because of what Brother Branham includes in the telling of the story, okay? Everybody all right? Need to take a break, stretch break? Okay, let me keep going then. And he says his mother used to quote the story and say, Bartimaeus, they were a, it was a great woman. She was a Shunammite, and she lived down in Shuna, and she had faith that in a servant of God called Elijah, a great mighty prophet, and he came by her house quite often. And she said to her husband, we perceive that this man who comes by this way is indeed a holy man. He's a great man because God works great signs and wonders through him. And I pray thee, let us show him favor by building on the side of our little house that he might stop a room on the side of our house that he might stop and rest. He said, let's, let's do that. She said, let's do that. Yeah. She told a story to Bartimaeus all the time. And I can imagine her saying, you see, Bartimaeus, we're supposed to treat all people good. We're not supposed to be evil to anyone. And especially we are to honor and respect the household of God. She was sure that this man that visited with her was a mighty prophet of God. So what did she want Bartimaeus to get? That God was God and prophets were prophets and all the rest of it. But also, also, that we're supposed to treat people a certain way. And we're not supposed to be evil to anyone. I'm not suggesting that you all need to build a little room on the side of your houses for when I come to town. But, gift card from Starbucks would be all right. All right, so should I not have said that? All right, let's go on. Now, <clears throat> should we intercede? Watch now what the scripture tells us here. There came one that escaped, told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, brother of Anar, whose, and these were confederate with Abram. So there's a war. The kings come and they take prisoners and they go. So word reaches Abram. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. I've been to Dan. Dan's in the very north. When you stand in Dan, you can look across the, the border down over the hill and see Syria. 
It's right there on one side. On the left-hand side, you can see Lebanon. Beautiful place. Lots of trees. It's not like desert uh, area here. And we actually stood in a gate that they uh, recently excavated where they know Abraham passed through. And we had our picture made there. Peter was in the picture and Lucas was in the picture, I believe, as well. And uh, it was really a neat thing to, to be in this place where Abraham passed through. And so when Abraham heard that his brother was captive, he didn't drop down to his knee and say, Lord, what? look out for old Lot. That's his lot, and now here, here he is taken captive. He didn't do that. But he just said, hey, roll up his sleeves, called all the servants, 318 of them, and said, get your swords, boys. Sharpen up your pitchforks. Let's go. These are trained servants, right? These are farmers and... Uh, you know, they're probably not people who have lots of weapons already, uh, unless they, unless they carried them in their trunk like most normal people do. And here they are and they head to Dan and he brought back all the goods and brought back his brother Lot and his goods and women also and the people. Abraham brought it all back, but his purpose was to go rescue Lot. Would you say Lot was a believer? Would you say Lot was in the same category as Abraham? Brother Ram says no, but you know what? There's one law for everybody. He's operating according to a law, even before the law is given by Moses. Are we okay? Brother Branham said, in perfection, we go forward to challenge that devil, and our people's in trouble just as Lot was. Abraham went after him. Satan, we come after you this morning. Our poor little forsaken sister is in trouble, and we come after you with anointing oil, with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, with the divine word and the gospel. Hey, thank God he's armed us for no matter what situation you find yourself in. And when somebody among us, or when somebody we know, has been taken captive by the devil, and they've been, they've been lured or bound in the cage of pornography or uh, in sickness or in trouble or indifference or uh, they've been hurt in some way. You know what? Uh, we would do the best thing, I believe, by rolling up our sleeves and going after that person rather than just saying, ha, huh, they don't come anymore. Because you know what? You'd probably want somebody to do that to you. You'd probably want somebody to think about you and show some energy towards helping you come back. Now, I've gone after a lot of stray sheep. I have. I've gone after a lot of stray sheep in my time. And the stray sheep will say, thanks, but no thanks. And you know what? You're somebody else's sheep, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot I can do about that because I can't force you to be here. And I can't force you to love the Lord. And I can't force you to obey. Right? We, hey, we don't operate by legislation here. We operate by revelation. We're here because of revelation. We stay because of revelation. We uh, dress like we do because of revelation, not legislation. You understand what I'm saying? We can't guilt you or force you into loving God. That's got to come from within. And if you love, the, love God, then hey, by God's grace, God's placed a gift here to be able to minister and increase that love in your heart. And that's really what we want to do. And Brother Bram's saying the same thing. We go to lay hands on her in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we, we find that uh, as, as Paul writes here in Ephesians, he said, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power. And unto me who am less than least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. 
Paul says we're going to do that for all men because there's one law that applies to everybody. And you know what? There's one salvation experience that we all need to have. Not a bunch of different ones. But Jesus died that men might come to that place. Men might, uh, men might uh, reach out to God and experience his salvation. There's not multiple ways. There, are only, there is only one way. Brother Branham, he illustrates the same thing. And he says, I'm faithful and true to my wife, not because I have to be, but because I love her. And he says, she loves me. And he says, no matter what kind of condition they're in, he says, I go after them anyhow. Let me go back and grab the first of the sentence here. He says, that's the way it is with Christ. I'm 50 years old. If I live to be 90 or 100, he says, and I never preach at time, go sit on the river, I'm saved anyhow. God saved me by his grace. And I preach because I love him and I love his people and I go after them. No matter what kind of condition they're in, I go after them anyhow. Go get them anyhow and pull them anyhow. Hear what he's saying? When, when there's somebody that's out there and the devil comes in and tries to disrupt them and tries to bother them, he goes after them. He says, you go get them anyhow and pull them anyhow. If ministers disagree, others disagree, denominations disagree, doesn't stop me. He said, doesn't stop him. He come right in the midst of unbelief and it didn't stop him. He moved right on anyhow. That's what we do. We go out and get them and catch them anyhow. No matter, reach, grab, hold on with all your might. No matter, he says, reach, grab, hold on with all your might. Wouldn't you do the same thing for your children? When your children do stupid, mothers and fathers, they'll reach, grab, and hold with all their might. You remember the story I told you about the guy that was, a little boy that was taken off the the bank of the pond by the gator. And, uh, you know, it made the news and everything else. Gator latched onto his leg and he was, you know, almost hauled in. And uh, his mother happened to see it and she grabbed onto the boy and she was holding his arm uh, this way. And the gator was pulling that way. And guess who won? The mother won. As a mother's love is a pretty strong thing. And she won. And the boy wound up in the hospital and a reporter came in and said, we want to, we want to interview you a little bit about the story. Pretty fascinating story. You know, you, uh, you won the fight with the gator and mother was, was sitting there and, uh, he says, let me see your wounds. And he said, well, he's pulled up his sheet and he says, here's my leg is where the, the gator bit me. But he said, that's not what I'm proud of. He held out his arm like this. It was all black and blue and scraped and scratched. He said, he said, that's what I'm really proud of. That's where mom had a hold of me and she dug in so tight. He said, I'll never forget those bruises and those wounds right here. He said, that was what was exciting. Man, she held on tighter than the gator. And she won. That's what we do. We reach out. We grab. We hold on with all our might. You don't know who they are. That's because of what? Not because we have to, but that's because of love. Not because I have to, but because I love. Because you love. Who put that love in you? God put that love in you. That's the love of God. Now, there are lots of different passages here that we could use. But I, I, I want you to take your Bible for a minute. And I want you to read this, if you don't mind. 2 Samuel, chapter 21. I love this little story here. And this is a good one for you to tell your kids. 2 Samuel, chapter 21. I could see myself acting this out in front of my grandchildren. Second Samuel 21, 1 to 4. There was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. David inquired of the Lord, stop. A year 
That's nature, right? Farmers will tell you we have a bad year. Two years? Maybe. Uh, Two years is serious now because crops fail in two years. That's tough on a farmer, tough on a farmer's family, tough on everybody who buys from the farmer. Three years, David goes to God. Three years, David goes to God and he inquires of the Lord, Lord, what is going on here? You can have, in your life, you can have a downturn for a season. And you can have even an extended season. But there comes a point where you know, you know there's something you don't know. And you better be going to the right place to ask the right questions times like that. Now, here's what else is interesting. God's allowing this to roll on until someone asks. God's not stopping this. Do you think God could? Sure. God, God controls the valve up there that allows rain to come. Hmm. But God's allowing this to go on. Not one, not two, but three years. And who knows how long it would have been until someone asked. God's always approachable. And you know what? God wanted David to come and ask. And I will tell you this, that sometimes conditions exist and they will continue to exist until you who are affected ask the right questions. Can I go on? That's only the first part. David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered and simply said, it is for Saul and his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites, period. What in the world does that mean? What is he talking about? God says, I mean, David must have probably thought, maybe I did something wrong and maybe we haven't given enough or whatever else. God says, it's for the Gibeonites. Wow. And the king called the Gibeonites. He says, find me some Gibeonites and let me ask them. And the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. These were not Jews. These were not Jews at all. Take your Bible, if you don't mind, now. Go back to Joshua chapter 9. Let's go back and find out where the root of this problem is. We're talking hundreds of years prior. I learned a lot from this little lesson. I hope you do too. Joshua chapter 9. Let's begin verse 3, just for time's sake. Joshua 9 verse 3. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, this is the conquest of the, of the promised land. Joshua's rolling through like a D9 dozer and coming through. And nobody's able to withstand him, including uh, Jericho and so forth. Word spreads. Hey, uh, they didn't need to have texting in order for the word to spread back then. Word spread. And they did work wilily. Yeah, I know many of you didn't even think that that's a word. But they worked in a wily way. Remember wily the coyote? Okay. Yeah. Everybody say man and now. And went, the Gibeonites now, they worked wilily. They said, how can we, man, how do we survive this? We're only a little group, but how did we survive this? Such a great God and a great army. 
And they went and made as if they were ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, old shoes and clouded them upon their feet and old garments upon them. And they all had bread of their provision was dry and moldy. So here they are living in the promised land, but they're looking like they've uh, been on the road a long time. They look like somebody swept out the cab of the truck. Old, moldy bread, old clothes, and all this kind of stuff. And they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, we become from a far country. Hey, they're liars. They're not telling the truth. They're lying here. We come from a far country. Now, therefore, make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, peradventure ye dwell among us. How shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye? And from whence come ye? And they said, Oh, from a very far country. Thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. And we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, Sion and Og, which, uh, which was at Ashtaroth. And wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to, spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey. And go to meet them. And they said, we are your servants. And therefore now, make ye a league with us. It's all lies. <laughs> None of this is true. They're standing there in front of King Joshua, the, the leader. And they're making up this story. Because you know why? They're working wildly. And they've concocted this story for survival. They just don't want to be killed by the, the incoming Israelites into the promised land. So they said, we're going to pretend like we're outsiders and we're ambassadors on behalf of this group of people called the Gibeonites and so forth. Twelve, thus our bread, this our bread, we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and moldy. These bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, they be rent. And these are our garments, and our shoes have become old by reason of very long journey. All lies. <laughs> you think God knew it was all lies? Sure he did. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. So here's Joshua and all the Israelites are looking at these people and say, wow, never heard of you folks before. Look at all, look at the, wow, I'll, I'll pass on the bread. Looks like it's been in the pickup for a while. I'll, yeah, you can keep that. And so Joshua and all the children of Israel, 15, they made peace with them, made a league with them. Let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. I looked up that word league, and in the Hebrew, that word league means covenant. It's another way of saying that they entered into a covenant with the Gibeonites and said, okay, came to pass at the end of three days that they made a league with them. They heard that they were, they heard that they were their neighbors, and they dwelt amongst them. The children of Israel journeyed and came unto the cities in the third day, and their cities were... Gibeon, and so forth. And the children of Israel smote them not, because of the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation murmured against the princes. I'm just reading this because in detail, these guys lie to Joshua. Joshua doesn't know really who they are. But as they proceed down through this whole story here, and Joshua enters into a covenant with them, makes a deal, and he says in verse 19, we have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. Even if they do things contrary, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. 20, 
We will even let them live, but wrath be upon us because of the oath which we have sworn unto them. Now there's a covenant between them. Now there's an oath between them, a league, and Joshua says, we can't violate that. We made that in good faith to these people. And the princes said unto them, let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes had promised them. And Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have you beguiled us, saying, We are very far from you when actually you dwell among us. When Joshua realizes he's been taken, he says, Why did you lie to us? Why did you beguile us? Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants... How that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land, destroy all the inhabitants? And we were sore afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And he says, we're in your hand. 25, and it seemeth good and right unto unto us to do. And so did he unto them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel. They slew them not. Joshua gives the orders and say, boys, put your swords back. Put your swords away. We can't kill these guys. We made a covenant with them. And we, I know, I know, they lied, but we're going to let them live because we made a covenant. 27, and Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation, for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day in the place which they should chose, which they would choose. And so uh, Joshua says, hey, uh, they're not free from the conditions now. They're going to be hewers of wood forever, and they're going to become like bondsmen to us, and we're going to, uh, we're going to take them with us. Wherever we set up the tabernacle of the congregation, these are the guys who are going to go, fo- going to go find kindling for the fires and wood for the sacrifices, and these are the people that but we're going to let them live. We're under a commission to kill them, but we made a covenant with them, so we're bound by this covenant. You see the spot that Joshua's in, and, I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on here. However, later on in time, Saul, in his anger and in his wrath, figures out, all right, we need to purge Israel of everybody who's not a Jew. And guess what? He puts a sword to the Gibeonites and kills them. Yeah, we could read the rest. I could give you the rest of the passages here. But Saul, in his anger, winds up killing the Gibeonites. In other words, he's not respectful of the covenant or the league that's made with them. And Joshua had just said, we read it to you there, that this will be forever. This will be from this day forward. And, and Saul, disregarding this whole chapter that you just read, he kills the Gibeonites years later. No rain. Years later, no rain. David says, Lord, have we failed you in some way? And God's response is, it's for Saul and the Gibeonites. David didn't sin. David didn't do anything wrong. These guys are not Jews. And these guys lied. And Lord, you know it. I mean, there's all kinds of wrongs in this, in this story. And Saul disregards the covenant thing, which is very important to God, and kills them all. And now God is exacting vengeance over here, or judgment, if you like, on the children of Israel here. I wonder, does God, listen, I wonder, does God wait until he finds somebody he can deal with? I wonder, does he wait around because he couldn't deal with Saul? I mean, no matter what God did, he couldn't get Saul's attention, right? I mean, he couldn't get Saul to turn around and act differently. So here is, 
Here is now a man on the throne who's got a sensitivity, not like many others, because he's made a man after God's own heart. I wonder, does God wait until he gets the right person? And then all of a sudden closes the valve. Because I know eventually David's going to ask the right question. Begs the question. I wonder how God would have left the valve. How long would God have left the valve closed? If it was in the days of Saul, they probably would have been starved out. They probably would have had no rain for a long, long time. But now he's got a man on the throne who is sensitive enough to the word that he's going to ask God the right question in time and say, one year might have been nature. Two years gets us thinking. Third year, we're going to ask the question. Something might happen, and we might say, well, it might be a disagreement. goes on a long time, you know, and we get to thinking about it. And, you know, there comes a point where you want to act on what God's dealing with you about. I'm not saying this for you here this morning. I'm just saying this for someone. And I don't know where that someone is. They might be out there online. I don't know. But I will tell you this, that, that it is important for you to ask the right question to the right person so you can get the right answer, so you can fix the problem that may not even be yours. Whoa. The bride's attitude towards them that are not bride. Wow. It'd just make you think, wouldn't it? Because we think, oh, well, the Gibeonites doesn't matter. Matter to God. You know why? Because they were in a covenant relationship. You may say, well, I mean, not you, but somebody may say, well, uh, you know what? My wife doesn't believe the message. I believe the message. Well, my wife doesn't believe the message. Or my husband doesn't believe the message. So, uh, you know, I can treat her a certain way. I can walk away. Hold on now. You're in a covenant relationship with that person. You better be careful how you walk away from that. You better be careful how you deal with that. You don't want to have the wrong attitude and you don't want to cause bitterness. Children of Israel, and I'll close with this, the children of Israel in their followings after Moses. Let me end the story with Gibeah. David calls him in and he says, Man, I was unaware of this. I didn't know. He calls the leaders of the Gibeonites in. And so David says, tell me what you want done. We as a nation have failed you. Tell us what you want done. And then they make the requests, and there's some people that are given to the Gibeonites there. And all of a sudden, (laughs) they look up, and there's clouds in the sky. The solution may not be our solution. You can go on and read the chapter. The solution may not be our solution, but the important thing is how God reacted. And when they did the right thing, when David did the right thing, and he humbled himself before people who were not even believers, but he humbled himself in the right way and responded the right way to the Gibeonites, all of a sudden he felt rain fall on his head. The important thing always is how God reacts to things we do. Not so much what we want God to do, but how God actually does respond. That's what's important. Let me conclude with this and say that when Brother, uh, when Brother Moses was leading the children of Israel out through the wilderness, in the path of the perfect will of God, they were under Moses' leadership, they wound up coming to a place where there was a pool of water. And they were so happy to see the pool of water. And when they dug in and they began to drink the water, guess what? The water was bitter. 
And the people fumed. They fumed at Moses. They fumed at God. And they said, hey, why did you lead us here in the path of, of bitter water? And as a result, they named the place Mara. Mara means bitter. But what they failed to realize is that this was indeed the perfect will of God. Moses did lead them in the way God told them because Moses was following the pillar of fire and, and went exactly the way he was supposed to go. But what God wanted to do was to demonstrate to the children of Israel that when you take the right wood and you throw it in the water, the waters can be healed. And when God did that to Moses, he was telling him that one day there will come a cross, a wooden cross that will be thrown in front of mankind that will heal all the bitterness of sin. And he says, when you come up against one of your bitter waters, you don't need to respond, but am I speaking to somebody here today? When you come up against one of your bitter waters or something like that, there's a tree tonight, spiritually speaking, hanging over the world that will sweeten any bitter waters that you may be led by. I think that's great. Calvary. Calvary, not counseling, not a new church, not finding allies, but Calvary will sweeten any experience. Wow. I, I, I chose all of these quotes, and there's more besides, but I chose these because they spoke to my heart so profoundly. A Calvary will sweeten any experience. Now, remember what you first did when you came to Calvary. You repented, right? You asked God for, your sin, for forgiveness of your sins because you were the one who put him there on the cross. When you come to Calvary, when you have a Calvary attitude, when you have an approach to Calvary, we come and say, all right, now, I want this and this and this. No, when we come to Calvary, it's all about forgiveness. I may not be in the wrong, but I forgive. And here's David, not in the wrong, but suffering three years of drought. I'm not in the wrong, haven't done a thing. And even when God reveals it, he hasn't done anything wrong. This is for Saul. Wow. Wow. But you know what David has? He has a Calvary attitude, and he gets down and he says to the Gibeonites, let me make it right. I'm not wrong, but let me make it right. What is that? You know what that is? That's the Spirit of Christ. That's the Spirit of Christ. Calvary will sweeten any experience. Many times. Many times, musicians, if you would just gently just slip up here. Don't stop on me, with me now. Many times we get into hard places and wonder how. How did I get here? How does this happen? My goodness. Looking up into the skies, they're brassy. How did we get here? What went wrong? But I shut my eyes sometimes and I think yonder on Golgotha where my Redeemer bled and died for my life. My trials seem so little. I just threw aside, I throw that aside, walk on. I'm not going to carry that bitterness with me. I'm not going to let that bitterness spoil my walk. 
I'm not going to let that bitterness influence me for the rest of my days because I can. And you know you can. But you need to say in your heart, I'm not going to let that bitterness follow me. I'm not going to let that bitterness uh, spring up in my life and the roots of it spread all over the place. I'm going to throw, hey, even if nobody else does anything about this, if, even if, you know, your, your, your particular experience at Mara, no matter what it is in life, and I know some of you have, you know, I've chatted with some of you over the last little while, and, and I mean, as I go around, look around the room here, there's, there's, you know, different things that people have, things have happened in their families, and families, uh, you know, that had to leave churches and all, all, all the other things that have gone on over time. Almost all of us have a little bit of a story to tell. And different things that happened that we never really brought on, not really our fault. But I'm telling you that the bride's attitude towards those that are without should not be one of, ha ha, we don't have to do anything because, you know what, we're the bride. That's all I'm saying. And when it comes to mercy, the spirit of Christ in us is going to be quick to show mercy where we can. I just throw that aside and walk on, Brother Bram says, and it sweetens my experience, it sweetens every experience I've ever had. He always sweetens it when I come to my waters of Mara. Oh, he always, somehow or another, God can make it right. There are knots tied in the rope of our life that we can't untie, and it's difficult. But there are times when God can untie it and make it come out really good, really sweet in our lives. Many, many times it's tied back to Calvary. It's tied back to the cross. And your willingness to, to repent, to make it right, even if it's not your problem. And here's David with the Gibeonites looking at this and saying, it's for Saul. Well, why don't Saul? Oh, Saul's dead. So God's looking to David now as a leader of the nation to say, David, I'm giving you the opportunity to make it right because when you make it right, all kinds of people are affected by that. Let's stand to our feet. All kinds of people are affected when we do it wrong. All kinds of people are affected when we do it right. Lord, I don't know. Maybe you're... I I know this. I don't want to be like a rattlesnake who gets so angry I bite myself because that's stupid. I want to be like the kind of person that says, you know, there's something happened in my life here. Lord, if there's some way I can just, if I can reach out, if I could say something. And Lord, if, maybe it's in my heart. Maybe it's just an attitude. I don't know. I, I, I don't always have the answer. I can only tell you by example in the scripture here that the bride, we look deeply at the scripture. We look carefully at the scripture. and We want to be sensitive to that. It's like David did. God could deal with David. <clears throat> Lord, give us that sensitivity. I say that. Lord, give us that sensitivity that when something happens or changes in our life, we would look at ourselves and say, Lord, I'm not here to fix the blame. I'm here to fix what went wrong. And if I can grab a hold of Calvary's cross and do this, that's where I'm going to start right here. Be it unto according to According to your promises, I can stand secure.
sets me free according to your word O Lord it unto me sing it again now sets me free according to your word, O Lord, be it unto me. Have your Once again now. 
He's good at that. He's really thorough. And we want to let him do that. We want to let him have his way in our hearts. And this may be the kind of thing that you'll take from here and think about. And God may bring something to you that you may not even feel would be a burden or a weight or something. But just stay open to what he has to say. That's what's important. You people that are listening online and archiving and so forth, just let the Holy Spirit comb through your heart because things don't happen by chance to God's people. But God may have to get you in a place where you can be open to hear what God has to say, like God had to put David on the throne in order to get a man who would listen to him. And God may move us and events in our lives around to get us to a place where we would be more tender. I don't know. Lord Jesus, when we 
think about this whole idea of you seeing us as white and pure and sinless. That's a, truly a great miracle, something, Lord, that we never, never could create in ourselves, Lord, to create a position of sinlessness and perfection, to be justified as though we never sinned in the first place. Lord, that is your grace. <clears throat> Just like your prophet said to that woman who came in the prayer line, who not only was not well, but now nervous because she's not well and there's no solution in sight. He reminded her that we are where we are by the grace of God and we should never ever take that as a light thing. We don't want to become cynical because of people around us. Lord, we don't want to become indifferent just because we've been given such great blessings. Lord, may we be mindful of one another especially those who are of the household of faith. Forgive us, Lord, where maybe we have missed something. Forgive us, Lord, if there's some way you're trying to get our attention and we were not maybe sensitive enough. Lord, we're human, and all of us go through things. All of us have Mara experiences, but all of us have a stick we can throw in the water. So I pray that you would help us, Lord, right where we are, in our weakness, in our hurt, that, Lord, you would help us where we are. And may we learn to let go. And, Father, we'll give you thanks. We'll give you praise, Lord, because you're always interested in the bride going forward and not standing still. We thank you for that. Have your way, Lord, among us, I pray. Move in hearts, Lord. And it may be even one heart. But, Lord, move, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the morning when I rise. Let's sing that this evening here before we dismiss. In the morning.
Oh, when I come to die. 